Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I am the host of the Sendcast and I am also the Managing Director of B-Squared. If you are a new listener, welcome to the Sendcast. The aim of the Sendcast is simple. We want to reach lots of people and help you all learn more about special educational needs and disability. We aim the podcast at teachers and schools, but it actually helps all professionals working with children or young people their CND. And we also know from feedback that it benefits parents and carers of all children. This week, I have Abigail Hawkins as my guest. Abigail is an SEN consultant and runs Sensible Senko, which is a community on Facebook that is so much more. And this week, we're discussing a topic that always comes up on social media, and that is who goes on the SEN register. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B-Squared. We are the assessment people. We help schools to show the small steps of progress pupils with SEND make, and we can show progress for a wide range of abilities and ages. If you're a primary school struggling to show progress for pupils working out of their year group, we can help. Did you know you can also use B-Squared assessment software for more than just your SEM pupils? You can now assess all pupils in one system, saving you time and money. And it also simplifies the whole assessment and data process. Visit the B-Squared website or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with me and to take you through our assessment software. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing the SEM register and who should go on the SEM register. My guest is Abigail Hawkins. Abigail is an SEM consultant from Senko Solutions. She also runs Sensible Senko, a networking support group for Senkos. Go check them out on Facebook. Abigail has been a Senko for over 25 years, covering a variety of subjects and phases. Until recently, she was a chair of governance for three schools, and she currently works with software companies to help develop software to support SEM. Welcome to the show, Abigail. Thank you. If you read on social media, you will see various people promoting various ways to use the SCM register and some having multiple registers. Most of the things I read, I do not like. It is miles too much. So let's go back to basics. What is an SCM register? What's it for? If you go back to your code of practice, our current code of practice, I should say, because we are in a bit of a flux at the moment, the code of practice says that students on your SEN register should be those who are receiving something additional to and different from. So it isn't anything to do with whether or not they've got a diagnosis. It isn't anything to do with, I don't know, low level literacy, but you're not doing anything for them. It isn't anything to do with EAL. It's simply are you providing something additional to and different from? The problem is when you've got a child who's got, let's say, dyslexia, for example, because that's a very common example, who doesn't need anything from you other than perhaps a coloured overlay and maybe to use a slightly larger font, both of which are reasonable adjustments. The question comes, do they need to go on the SEN register? And some schools will go, yes, because I need to inform the staff. And that's fair enough. And some schools will go, no, because it is just reasonable adjustment. So they end up creating another register for additional needs or the, you know, the, the not SEN, but we need to monitor them kind of register. If you actually go into law and you go into the code of practice, there isn't anything that says you have to have a register. There is nothing there that says SEN register. Go and, you know, use control F in your code of practice. You won't find SEN register. 
what it says is you have to put the things in place for that child, but the register is actually the school's decision to use. And you're using it so that you can inform staff of those children, of what they need to do or what they need to be aware of. And it's really, really frustrating for me. So I I go into schools now as a consultant. I will go in. And what you find is, especially in secondary schools, I have to say, year seven, eight, nine, they've been pootling through with reasonable adjustments and they've not been on the SEN register. And then all of a sudden they get to year 10 and somebody decides they need access arrangements for their exams. And because that's something a bit more than just pootling their way through with a coloured overlay, they put them on the SEN register. But that's not additional to and different from anything they've been doing previously with them. So why do they suddenly become on the SEN register when they get to year 10 and those access rates? Yeah, I just get very frustrated with it, Dale. Sorry. <laughs> I, I always see a post going, how do you do your SEN register? And someone will say only, and basically the one I kind of use is basically where the teacher, and I quite like this one, if the teacher needs more support. So if the teacher can manage it on their own, not on the SEM register, as soon as you need support from somewhere else, something else, then he goes, oh, I quite like that. Then someone goes, well, what about this child who's got a diagnosis of autism, but they're working age race, whatever. It's like, you don't actually need to do a single thing for that. There's nothing you need to do there. Oh, but I put them on a list. And someone goes, well, I've got a list for this. And I'm literally going, please stop. Because it's not just, because as soon as you have a list, you have to monitor it. So this person has this person had like three or four different lists. They're monitoring. I'm going, no, 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 no. And, and then you have that medical list, medical and disability. Medical list, yes. So we've, we've got the SEN register, we've got the additional needs register, we've got the medical list, and we've got the disabilities list. And you sit there and you think, well, actually, what are you doing for those children? It's, it's not to do with the list. It's to do with what are you doing? What are you monitoring? What are you having to provide support and coordinate that support for? As we are talking Senkos here, obviously. So what are they coordinating that provision for? I had a student many years ago who had webbed fingers. So he had the webbing between the parents had decided they weren't going to have them trimmed, cut, whatever the technical phrase is, that he had webbed fingers. Technically, a disability. Did he need me? Not at all. Did I even, was I even aware of his existence? Not until he was partway through year eight, to be fair. He had been with us since year seven. And I just happened to walk into a cookery class, a DT class, and saw him and looked and thought, oh, is that a new student? I've not seen him before. Why am I not aware of this? Parents didn't do anything different for him. He didn't need anything different. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, should he be on my SEN register? I'm not doing anything. He, he copes absolutely fine. He's got his own strategies. He's got his own support. Yes, a disability, if you like, but not something I needed to be doing something about. Didn't need a register. And he, he was confident enough to tell staff when he walked in the room if anybody questioned something. I think sometimes it's just, it's not necessarily having a register. It's being aware of your students, aware of who you've got and who can advocate for themselves. So your example of the ASD student, yeah, maybe working age-related expectations, generally don't need anything in the classroom. But if they did need something, could they advocate for themselves? Could they ask for it themselves? And if they can't, they're the ones I need to 
potentially make teachers aware of more so than the ones that are able to verbalise and say, actually, this isn't working for me, do this instead. And there are times, again, a child could be on the SEM register in one school and the same child moving to a different school might not be on the SEM register because there are various reasons. It could be how well each school is set up, how inclusive they are, are they communication-friendly environments, all of the things some schools do amazingly well and the other schools haven't thought of, still on the journey. It means one child will be supported with that teacher doing not a huge amount more. And this can also vary by authority by authority. So I'm lucky and probably like you, you go to see different authorities and you see very different things. And Nottinghamshire, very odd when I first heard about it, and, but then I quite liked it because it's kind of like you've got to get on with it so you have to be more inclusive, which meant it's better for everyone. So a child in a Nottinghamshire school might not be on the SEM register because the way they teach is so inclusive, they don't need to do anything above and different could go to a completely different local authority, not supported, teachers not sure what to do, goes on the SEM register, gets supported. And it might be as the school improves, as they learn more and more on how to be more inclusive and they do more, that actually that child can become off the SEM register, not because they've suddenly been cured, not suddenly because they've made so much progress, but actually we now know how to support him and we've adjusted our practice so we're not doing anything different for them. Yeah, absolutely. And you chose my local authority, actually. I live in Nottinghamshire. A good half of my career, though, was in Nottingham City. And we don't have, I'm going to use a very old-fashioned phrase, actually. It was a non-statementing authority. Let's let's just put the lacards on the table. Traditionally, Nottingham City was a non-statementing authority in that you really struggled to get a Section 323 statement for a child before we had EHCPs. But the reason for it was that we can access funding at a higher level for students without the need for a statement or an EHCP. And that process still exists in Nottingham City and in Nottinghamshire. So you, although they might be on our SEN register, because they do need something, we don't need that next layer. We don't need the EHCP. We've got the funding. The only thing is it's not guaranteed funding. You have to apply for it each year. You're not guaranteed how much you're going to get from that. And it's not bound in that legal section F of an EHCP. But it does mean that what ends up happening is a lot of the the things that everybody in other local authorities see as additional to and different from we actually see as part of normal classroom practice. I, I, I always go back because when I went to Nottingham City, I came from, I, I'm a Derby girl originally, so not too far down the road, but they are rivals. When I first went over there, I got a bit of a shock in terms of literacy levels. So I went into a secondary school and it wasn't uncommon for over 60% of my cohort to come in with a reading age below seven. Now, if I was in Derby, and I'd had a cohort of year sevens coming in with a reading age below seven, so at least four years below their their chronological age, in Derby City, I would have been sitting there and putting them on my SEN register and putting a whole load of things in place for them, individualised and and, and all the rest of it. In Nottingham City, because I had so many of them coming in, it was like, well, actually, it's pretty much my whole cohort. I have to do something for the whole cohort anyway, 
So they don't go on the SEN register just because they've got a low reading gauge, even though if they move 12 miles down the road, they would go on the SCN register. <laughs> it's, it's frustrating and it's confusing. And that's why part of me quite likes some of the proposals in that SCN green paper. We work with a lot of schools in Nottinghamshire and I like because you, you have family of schools, don't you? You have a family and there'll be a lead Senko responsible for a group of schools. And I love this partnership thing. Going, I, I really like it. But the first... She explained the way it's done. And I, I was like, going, that is shocking. I can't believe they're doing it. She went, no, it's brilliant. I went, how? And then she explained to me, and I went, oh. And it is, it's just so much more inclusive. And I was like, okay. And yeah, so it's different authorities. So one of the things I would say is when you're using Facebook and you're asking someone a question, their answer will be based very much on their local context. Yeah. So when you're asking you, you know, one school will say this and that's great for them. Another school will say the complete opposite and that's great for them. You've got to work out what's right for you. And the other thing is, and the same with applying free HCPs, you could be supporting a child perfectly well. They could be, I'm going to say they were thriving. They could be doing really well in primary, but you know that that child going to secondary school is going to fall apart. They are going to collapse. They're, they will not cope. The Everything will go wrong. So the whole time they've been with you at primary, not on the SEM register, but you know fully well they're going to go straight on the SEM register, EHCP and everything, and it's all going to collapse. School refuser, it works. So there is actually, and this is one thing I want to change, I don't see, I haven't seen anything, is in reality that EHCP process for me should start in year six, even though there's no current need predicting it because it's going to be a lot cheaper less stress, less, and I mean cheaper. What I mean is it's that whole early intervention has the less impact, sorry, less negative impact, less long lifetime cost, better outcomes. That's what I mean by cheaper is if you think about the education, putting that in early will not mean that child is off school. We'll get that support in, but that's currently not happening because there's no need. You have to fail, before you get, but that's a whole other podcast. I think it needs to be before year six then. So, you know, those primary schools, they are inclusive. They are fantastic. They are brilliant. They do keep those children. They have got those things in place. I think some of that good practice from the primary schools needs to feed into secondary schools and, you know, nurture groups and, and all of that business. But actually thinking about it when they get to year six with, oh, they're about to leave us, is a little bit too late. It should be be taking place around about year three, year four, and thinking about, okay, we know they're going to be leaving us in two years' time. It's not like they're going to be staying with us for an extra couple of years. What will they need? And yes, we do have to get the crystal ball out sometimes, but it's it's fairly predictable. You know which children. By the time you've done the job for more than 10 minutes, you get a gut instinct of this child is going to need more when they get to secondary. We know it, regardless of which secondary they go to. They're in year four. What can we start putting in place? What kind of skills can we train them with? Do we do we need an EHCP? Do we need some external professionals to provide advice? Do we need to say to the parents, actually, the school that's nearest to you probably isn't the best place for them, but maybe the school slightly further down the road where their friends aren't going might be the one that better meets their needs. Don't be swung by those things. It needs to happen much, much earlier. And I know my you know, primary colleagues are 
under a lot of stress, just as secondary colleagues are. But it's it's really unfair on the it's it's unfair on secondary senkos, it's unfair on secondary teachers, and it's unfair on those children that they go up to secondary and they're, as you say, they're almost made to fail before they can start putting things in place. Because if they haven't been on the SEN register at the primary, we haven't even got that APDR cycle to refer to with what was the primary doing for them? Because there was no obligation for them to record anything because they weren't on the SEN register that doesn't technically exist. That's the thing is my, my, my nephew is really lucky is the school supported him really well. So he wasn't on the SEN register, although he was quite complex the teacher was supporting them in the classroom, but they made it very clear to the secondary school that it's not going to go well. He needs this, 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 this. And although he's, and my, and we need the support. And my other nephew, where they're going through, he's on the SEM register, but he hasn't got any HCP yet, not even close to it. But again, the primary school get to the secondary school and preps them. This is what's happening. And he was able to go in on the sort of days where they go in over the summer for their SEM pupils. So you can go in at a quieter time and learn about the school. So he got, although he wasn't fully in that system at the primary school, they recognised that he needed it going forward, which was brilliant. So I could say there's a current SEM register and a future SEM register, but now we're getting into multiple SEM registers, which is not what we want again. It, it literally comes down to, and my, my one is where you need outside help. And, and for a lot of schools, you could say it's any child working significantly behind their peers. That's quite a common one. But if the teacher's doing well, then that child doesn't have to be. But a diagnosis is not a guarantee to go on the SEM register. A medical, a disability, anything, there is no guarantees, I don't think, of going on the SEM register. There is not a written rule, if this, do this. And that's part of the problem. That's why everyone has their own interpretation. But just think it's, you shouldn't have a, this is what I'm monitoring. Then uh, this is what I'm going to monitor in case I need to monitor it list. And then uh, I might be monitoring this list because I might need to monitor and move them onto the monitor. I could be monitoring onto the monitor list. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> You've got enough work as it is. And I did podcast previously was about identification of SEN, which is that whole where, how that process and it is at which point do we move them on? So that's worth a listen as well, but it is the teacher with quality first teaching or high quality teaching, or there's a new buzzword from the green white paper, which was can't remember what it is now. Something, something. Teaching. Um, Let's just teach. <laughs> yes. It was, yeah, I, I did a post on Facebook going, we need, we need to up, update our, uh, our all our documents and remove high-quality teaching. And it was something, it was just rubbish phrase again from the government because it's their way of improving it by changing the name. Um, yeah, so this happens, and that all should happen in the classroom, yeah, before the Senko is involved, yeah. And if that's all happening and the Senko is unaware, that's fine, that's not anything wrong with that the senko does not have to be aware of every slight difference it's only they, when they become and you're going look I, I i'm not supporting this child i don't know what to do then you get the senko involved and even then when the senko gets involved they still might not go on the SEM register it's it's very ambiguous and there is no definitive answer i think you know, 
we've established that, but you don't need multiple registers. I, I can remember going into a school where they had got, you know, I've given the four examples already, their SEN register, their additional needs, their medical register, their disability register. They then also got their access arrangements register, their low-level literacy register, an EAL register, which the Senko held because she was also EAL coordinator, which is fair enough. But by the time they got them all, and you actually took into account the the context of that school, that Senko was generating paperwork and trying to monitor the provision of about 70% of the school. There is no way that they could do an effective job of providing that. And it was, it was no surprise that they were slightly flustered and, and stressed and they really wanted to quit their job. And the first piece of advice was, cut down on your registers, but also cut down on the numbers that are on those registers because you've got a lot of students there. So if I took the SEN register, for example, they probably had about 170, 180 pupils on there. EHCPs, fine, they need to stay on there. The rest of them, what are you doing that is additional to and different from? There was probably only about 15, 16 students because they didn't have any spare TAs to do anything with. There wasn't any interventions running. There was nothing additional to and different from. So it was like, well, why are they on there? Just, just for goodness sake, take them off. You've then not got to do your three reviews a year. You've not got to, 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 to do all this additional thing. Yes, you can still monitor. You can still look at their data and see whether they're falling any further behind. And if they're not falling behind, why are you interfering anyway? Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think Senko's, we just like to dabble in everything. That's what it is. No, I, I, no, it's not the dabble. I think you're just magnets. Whether you want to be or anything, everything comes to you. And, and one of the things I, want, I wonder with increasing levels of anxiety and everything else and the whole mental health, are you going to have mental health lists as well going on? I already have a school that has a mental health register. <laughs> are, all, are all the staff on there? Yeah, probably. <laughs> We all have an IEP as well. <laughs> That's the thing is you have all of these and it, it always comes back to that Senko person. And it's interesting uh, when, when I'm having a meeting about B squared, I, I ask them how many children are you intending to use our system with? And that's how well, we've got 20 with the HCPs. I don't ask them how many on the SEM register. I ask them because for us, it's about the small steps. I go, how many pupils have you got working? Like, work two years behind it gets less as a younger and they go well this many it's like what that's how many probably it'll make benefit using b squared with them not all of those children will be on the sem register because the fact they have the system into the school and they can just start using it and they're using it for others and it's just a slight that's not really there's nothing really extra needed because you already have it it's only when you're doing something. So yeah, it's if you have your SEM register, go or and you have multiple. Go through what is this list for? What is the purpose? Is it a list just to write the names down just in case? Um, and it's just what become. What is the reason for? What are you doing with that list? Because if it's a list, well, I need to monitor them. Well. Are you monitoring them? Are you actually going to go through that whole process and monitor them? If not, don't have the list. If you do, and you're going, to, I'm going to monitor them. And if after you've monitored it twice, nothing's really concerned, we'll get rid of the list because it's. Although you might be, it's more like a 
just in case, in case type thing. It's a security blanket because I might do, but if you, you've literally got to go, look, I've checked twice. Yeah, it's doing all right. Get rid of that list. I think the other one though is that, that we feel the need to generate it as a separate list. And actually, you don't need to because your MIS systems, most schools use SIMS, but we've also got Bromcom and Arbor and Scholarpack and all of those. Your MIS system allows you to identify or tag or hashtag or whatever you want to put it as or flag the status of those children. So you can just flag that that's my SEN child. You can put the need next to it. You don't actually need to go and put an Excel spreadsheet together with a list of names and then copy and paste the date of birth and then copy and paste the status and change it in several places. I think we we make a lot of work for ourselves that we don't need. If you just change it in your MIS system and then run the report, you've got your register. So if you do want that EAL list of students, you pull off the ones that don't have English as first language. If you want that list of students, you could even do it by date of entry to the country as well if you wanted to. If you want that list of students who have a medical need, use the medical flag within your MIS and pull it off at that point. You don't need to maintain it as a separate list. And I think that's also where we end up making more work for ourselves. We, we, we end up with our own little personal spreadsheet with the list of students and a, a bit of information at the side. And the biggest problem with that is then the two pieces of information don't marry up. So you're having to change it in multiple places and that adds to the workload and yeah, all of that. And that, you know, I can't remember what the term is, but that term for the, for the, the data, the, the two trains of data end up being different integrity, whatever. That, it's just so frustrating to see it. You can see a school trying so hard to meet the needs of their students and you suddenly discover they haven't updated SIMS for the last 12 months since the last census and their census information is now incorrect. I, I have I go to schools where they because you can import all that stuff people premium free we can pull that all into us and do analysis. They go, why is it not imported? And they send me the file. It's like because it's all wrong in Sims. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and they, but I think lots of schools have these systems, and I think doing that thing from your MIS is the best thing. Yeah. Some people believe creating your own thing is great. Yes, <laughs> I've got my thing. It's great. Maybe the person I'm talking to created a Facebook page and a group and has all this stuff, and it's great. But anything you create requires maintenance. It requires updating. Yeah? For us as a company, our software is not a bonus. It is a liability. Yes? I have to spend time keeping that up to date. I have to invest so much time a year Otherwise, it becomes completely unusable. Yeah. And I know I'm talking very big, but that list, if you're going to create that list and you're not going to keep it up to date, you'll come back in 18 months and go, well, I can't actually use this. I've got to start again. Don't do it. Yeah, yeah literally don't do it. <laughs> and if, if you're not great at your MIS, somebody in your office, somebody in your school will be. Yes. And you should be able to ask for your Senko admin time to print reports off and just, and one of the things I suppose you is because again, there's a whole process probably around that of when the SEN gets turned on or ticked in the MIS, who decides? 
yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a there's a bit around that. So with the SEN, who decides? But with your medical and your EAL, you're not deciding. They are or they're not. So that comes in and you almost want a list each term and compare it to the previous one and go, hang on, this one's longer. Okay. No, someone's not told me something here. I've got two extra names now. <laughs> Who are these? It's things like that. But I think with the SEN, there should be a process of who decides if that gets ticked or not. And that's the Senko, though, isn't it? So that is where the Senko goes. This, these are the children we're doing something additional to and different for. Go and tick the box. And that's a nice, quick, short email. Absolutely. Please tick this box. Send. Or, or if they've got access rights, they can tick it themselves. Dangerous. <laughs> Dangerous. I think it depends. I think some schools, the teachers use SIMS, but most of my experiences, it's the person in the office who manages SIMS. I think if you get into secondary, where I think some secondary schools use SIMS for the assessment, the mark books and things like that, you're all more au fait with SIMS. But I think in a lot of um, primary schools, I think they stay away from SIMS because it's quite scary to look at. I think the newer ones like Arbor, Scholar Pack and so on are a bit less scary. They are more friendly, but they use different terms. So the, the language that we're used to using, they, they've got slightly different language and that confuses people. Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just use your MIS, get the information on there, pull the report from there. You don't create an SCN register. It creates itself from the MIS information. Although the bit to be aware of there is when you have a child transfer to you with their CTF, which is their common transfer file, their electronic folder, if you like, you may find that there was a box ticked to say SCN when they were in reception receiving speech and language therapy for six weeks and somebody has forgotten to untick it and put the end date in because that has now finished. And that child's now transferred to you in year seven or, you know, year five because they've moved schools and they've still got the box ticked and they've not had anything for the last six years. Just to be aware, you do need to go through, you do need to check it and make sure is that still the case? Does this child's tick still need to be there? And most importantly, certainly within Sims, put the end date in. Because if that end date isn't there, um, services like Dale's B Squared and the companies that I work with, we pick up that SCN status. And because there's no end date there, we will pick it up as being SCN, not as not being SCN, because the end date is missing. So go in and check it. And there's nothing we can do about it. It's not our fault, is it, Dale? It's it's really frustrating that it's it's within those systems and they've got to be used correctly. I compare it to using my Outlook emails. You get emails from people all of the time. I have got a really bad habit. I forget to add people to my address book in Outlook. So when I then go to type a new email to them, I start typing their name in and I can't find it in the address book because I've not added them to it. And it, it, you have to stay on top of it. Every time you've got a new student, every time you've got something new that's happening, you go in and you do it straight away. And if you do that, it's one or two minutes at that time. If you're having to go back through like I did yesterday and backtrack on all of my emails and find out who I've missed over the last three months because I haven't done it for a while, it, you miss somebody out and you, it takes you absolutely ages to do it. 
And if you have no idea what a CTF is, CTF is a common transfer file. It is a file which you can use to transfer information from one MIS to another between schools and things like that. You might not be, hopefully your, your Sims or your, whoever's in charge of your MIS will, should know what it is. And again, there should be a process of if you're receiving a CTF, there's a bit of quality control of what you're bringing in and just going, right, all these fields are ticked. Are we happy? type process. And it is, it, it should be something that it doesn't rely on you to do everything as a same code. I've got to keep an eye on it. No, it should be a case of when this happens, alert the Senko. It's that it's not you being involved. It's you should be alerted when this happens. So you can go, okay, I'll look into that. I'll check that. I'll do what I need to, to do that. Can we talk paper files for SEN for a second? No, because I hate paper. I know, but they still <laughs> exist. <laughs> I know, teachers love it. Literally, the whole, the, literally, you just you just go to a school training day in September and the first half an hour of lo- is lost because everyone's comparing their new notebook for the year. <laughs> We're already doing it on Facebook. <laughs> we don't face those now. <laughs> yes, it's just like, I just use my iPad. It's just so much easier, but anyway. Go back. Let's go paper records. Come on. So sometimes what you'll get is a child transfer to you. Their their school file will come across. Usually it comes across as a school file. There may be a separate brown envelope with their safeguarding information in it if they they have any safeguarding concerns. Sometimes their SEN information is hidden in their school file. Sometimes it comes as a separate folder that sits alongside. And this time of year, we get the same questions asked. And that is, who and when should I transfer that file? And can I get rid of the files? So can we, <laughs> I just want to address this one because it kind of relates to the SEN register. If you are a primary school and that child has left you, you have to transfer all of their information without pruning it to their receiving secondary school. You have to do that within 10 working days of them going on that school's role. Most schools will transfer them in the summer and they'll get them to sign to say, yes, I've received it. So the secondary school signed to say it. The slight caveat with that one on GDPR when it came in, GDPR is a nightmare. I hate it. I'm breaking out in hives thinking about it. The, the, the little problem with that one is that if that child then doesn't start there because they're going through an appeal, the wrong school has got their folder. So just be aware of your students who are going through appeals. But you transfer that information to the secondary school. Secondary schools, this is the bit where it gets really confusing. You are responsible for maintaining that file. If you put that child on the SEN register, that thing that doesn't really exist, for any period of time, at any point, you now have to keep that file until that child is 31 years old. I hope you've got a big cupboard. So my question for that is now education goes on to 18, if they move from a school to somewhere else, should it not transfer then? That, that's one of my questions I've not known. So that is, is, is right at the beginning. There's a guide called the IRMS. Don't ask me what it stands for because I haven't got a clue. I just remember the letters. If you type it into Google, look up the IRMS and there's a guide that opens up on the screen and quite early on in it, it makes it very clear that the school that has them when they are aged 16 is the school that maintains the file. So if they go to an FE college, 
you don't send you don't have to send it to the FE college. You'll send the information that they require, so an EHCP or a, perhaps an IEP from the last year or maybe their access arrangements, but you don't send their whole file. Their school file and their SCN information stays with the school they were in when they're age 16. I suppose because there is as you, as being as the UPN number. So the UPN only works until they are age 16. As far as I'm aware, yes, it becomes ULN after that. So then you have a new LN, which is a different number. Yeah. Why? Don't know. But it's obviously, it's this age 16 thing. So although education goes on to 18, it's this UPN, age 16. There'll be a load of laws around it. So it stops at 16. The child goes on, but now a learner, not a pupil. You have the ULN and does other stuff. And although that is... In some laws, they have been education for 18. Other laws haven't changed and may not need to change because of the whole UPN being stuck at 16. Okay, cool. Everyone clear on that? Marvellous. Clear as mud as usual. But it's that age 31 bit that confuses everybody. It used to be, I can't remember, age 23, I think, or something daft like that. But it, it was seven years, seven I think years. it was after. But it's seven yes. years data retention. That's the ruling. But it, it comes now from the fact that the HCPs go to age 25. It's not to 25. So you have to keep them for six years data retention beyond the age 25 hence 31. And because they leave you at 16 and may acquire, that's the wrong word, but they may acquire an EHCP after they've left you, you've still got their historical information, hence you have to keep them until they're 31. If they've not been on your SCN register, though, you are free to destroy them at a slightly earlier age, which I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure it's 23, uh, six, three, yeah, 23. But do check in the IRMS. <laughs> Didn't know we were going here on this podcast, but we all have. Right, but it was to do with SCN, and it's one of those questions that comes up all of the time, and it's to do with your register, because as soon as you put that child's name on that non-existent register, you have a whole load of legal obligations that go with it. I'm going to ask a question now. We talked about various different registers. Do, if a child has a diagnosis of anything, do I need to write that down on a list? You will want to make staff aware, potentially. Not always, but potentially you may want to make staff aware if that diagnosis is going to affect the education of that child. Do you have to include them on a list? Not necessarily. So it's not a yes or a no. It never is. That's the thing. And it's, it's this thing. It's how do you make people aware? And it's like, well, that's where the list Should we have a list? <laughs> should we have a list? But it should be a non monitoring list. Yeah. Well, it, it should be a, here's a list of pupils in the beginning of the year. Oh, I've got three on my list. Oh, okay. And that's, that's what we need to do. Isn't it, though, that every child is unique and individual? So does it really, you know, should we be generating a list of isolated individuals and picking them out? Or actually, should we have information about every child? The answer is information about every child. One of my sons had, was born with a cataract on his eye. So you, he, it's not been operated on. They decided it was too small and that his vision would develop around the cataract. If you cover one eye up like a pirate, he, he has a black hole in the middle of his vision. But generally, you would not be aware. He is not aware. Well, he, he is aware of it now. He's older. But he doesn't need anything. He wears sunglasses when it's bright. He sits in the classroom, generally needs a bit of lighting to be able to see the page, doesn't need to sit near the front, normal 2020 vision other than that. Absolutely fine. Does anybody need to be aware of it? 
kind of only in the sense that he might be wearing his sunglasses on the playground, which is a little bit unusual. That's the only thing people need to be aware of. They don't need to be aware of anything else. If he complains of a headache, I need to be informed. But then again, if a child complained of a headache, you'd inform any parent anyway. And generally, when you have a few headaches and you go, oh, he's got a headache. Oh, it's because this. You go, oh, okay. And generally, it's that person might make a little note down, or it's that person, especially in a primary school, it's always that person. My daughter, she was quite tall in year five, year six. So when she had a headache, she had the cowpole dose for her age. And she's got children who are literally half her size. And it's like, yeah, it's working on this. And we had to go through the process with the doctor. My daughter, she wasn't huge, but she was five foot something in year five, six. The doctor weighed her, worked out the mass and all that lot, and then worked out the dosage and worked out that actually she needed 150%. So we had to have a written note from the doctor, which went to the school. They stuck it in a thing. Headache, she was allowed that dosage. Didn't need to be on a, that goes opposed to medical, might have a note somewhere, but it's not on a register. Have a list, have a list, not a register. Have a list somewhere, but not a register. Well, just flag it on your Sims, you know, just have it on Arbor or whatever. Just flag it, say, put the information there. Because in, in ours, you can tag there, which we can import from MISs. So you can put lots of stuff in. But if you don't tag them as if you you could put it like ASD, but if you don't tag them as SEN, it's like, oh, they do have ASD, but they're not on the SEN register. So you can do things like that. And that's absolutely fine. It reduces your work. It, it, it gives people the information that they need, but without overloading everybody. And it forces us to think of children as individuals, not as, oh, they're an SEN or they're a, which I really hate. <laughs> So I'm just going to go back to the same point again, but we're going to flip it around two different ways, is from the child's point of view, if you're not supporting them, yeah, there's no point of having them on a list. Yeah, if having them on that list has no benefit to that child, then from the child's point of view, there's no point in them being on that list. Yeah, if you're doing something for that child, put them on a list. I'm doing something with this child. Put them on. I'm doing something with this child list called the SEM register. So from the child's point of view, if you're not doing anything for them and they don't need anything, don't, for their point of view, there's no reason to have them on a list. Now, from your point of view as a teacher, as a Senko, as anyone in that staff, again, if you're having to monitor something, but you're not doing anything, it's like me asking you to, can you just monitor how many windows are open at the end of the day? And you have to walk around. It's like, why am I doing this? What are we doing? You're not asking me to close them. You're asking me to count them. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Count something. Don't do anything. Just count it. It's like you just workload. So from the child's point of view, yeah, if you're not doing anything, there is no point. Yeah. So don't do it. Well, what happens if? Well, if you're not doing it, you don't need to. Yeah. So don't think of, well, I want to for the children. And I've heard that one before. But if you're not doing anything, you're not, by having them on a list in case, you're not changing anything apart from increasing your workload. And you've already got a lot. You've already got a lot and enough. And let's have less. And if we just go back to the, because I did mention green paper and, you know, I, I, I was going to move on to that. Go excellent. You're, oh, okay. excellent. <laughs> go on, go on. That proposal around the green paper and those standards, if you like, of who 
receives additional support and whatever. I really hope that we don't end up reducing children to checklists because that would terrify me. So can I tick this one, this one and this one, in which case, yes, you can go on my register. It shouldn't be that. But actually, that disparity that we see, that almost postcode lottery, if you like, of in Nottingham City, they won't be on the register. In Derby City, they will, should actually reduce some of that. So if they move from one area to another or they move from primary to secondary, there's that recognition of actually they probably wouldn't have been on my register, but because I've managed to you know, check it down, this set of standards, they should be on my register so that I can flag them ready to the, to the next place, if you like, and start gathering evidence for that next place. Because we know children fall off cliff edges all of the time. Not literally, that would be painful, but we just need to keep an eye on them. And we know that those big transition changes I've made Dale laugh, everybody. I'm so sorry. Um, you don't need a falling off a cliff register either. <laughs> no, please, no falling off cliff registers. There's health and safety involved in that. It, it's it's just that opportunity to start gathering some information sometimes. So, you know, I, I really hope that green paper, there are things I agree with it in, in there. There are things that I disagree with. I do like the idea of the standards so long as we don't just reduce children to a set of checklists. I get one of my things I see, because generally if you go to a Facebook group, if you go to a conference, you're going to find all of those who are really passionate and who are really staying up to date. And they will see some of the green paper and go, oh. But the problem is there's a lot of SENCOs and a lot of schools and maybe even whole local authorities where that SEN culture is not the best. There's certain law authorities who don't like anything beginning with the word dis, which is a whole other thing. So for some schools, you might be going, okay, I've got to put them on the or whatever. I don't need to because we're doing all this. Time. It's almost like a waste of time. So for some of you, some of the things is like, wow, I, I shouldn't have, I'm, we're doing everything fine. Why do I have to do this? But for others, it will make a big step up. It will, the standardization, some of you will be doing a bit of extra work, which you're already doing. So it's more like I've got to fill in a form every three weeks, however long. But for others, I think it will give them access to support where in maybe in the area that wasn't recognized, it wasn't available, wasn't blah, blah, blah. That's what I'm seeing is a few, and I think there was a, there was a government report. It wasn't the government, it was in, well, where it was, you know, it's about elbowy parents. It came out a couple of weeks before the green paper and it talks about it's only elbowy parents who win. So we just need to get rid of elbowy parents. It's like, no, no, you're missing it. It's only the elbowy parents who have enough willpower and money to get through. Um, and those parents might lose out a bit going forward. They might lose out a bit. Yeah. Cause they have pushed and everything's crumbled and they've got everything they wanted and they might lose out. But I think all of those who haven't got to that stage, all of those who have no idea when someone says, no, I can do something about it. And all of those I feel will get lifted up a long way. And that's what my big hope is. Yeah, definitely a bit of leveling up. And I also think that most Senkos are fantastic at what they do but we also have some who don't know what they don't know. 
So they, they not that they misidentify students, they miss the opportunity to identify some students who do need something additional to and different from. Very often those children who mask really well while they're in school and they perhaps haven't got an elbowy parent who's coming in saying, oh, they're melting down every day. They've kind of missed it. And maybe, you know, these standards when they come in, if they come in, because goodness knows what's happening now, um, but maybe they will help those Senkos to not miss out some of those students who literally do fall off the cliff edge. And I do mean literally in that sense for that one. I'm hoping that it will overall improve. But there is, it's, and where those Senkos, it's, it's I've, I've been to schools where it's like the Senko is waiting to be told from above what they should be doing, what they should be, and they're waiting to be drip fed. And if that person above isn't great at what they do, or that person doesn't exist currently because it's whatever, and or there isn't somebody who was really good at it. There was not hand over to someone. There can be reasons why that information is not being drip fed, and that person's kind of just left. But they're not. They don't know where to. It just they don't know they're behind. They don't. They don't know lot. And I think there's lots of things like that happening. And I'm hoping the green paper would just set a bar that everyone has to be above. Because at the moment there is no bar. We can hope. Well, there is a bar, but we're limboing underneath it. Well, there's a bar. But if you're beneath it, nothing happens. Exactly. <laughs> we need a bar <laughs> and some snipers that if you're below it. I'm not saying it's the person in that school. That's the thing. It is it's you've got to unpick why is that per why is that school below? It's it's, it's bureaucracy. You know, it always boils down to bureaucracy and you know, we're doing a, another podcast a little later on, but it's, it's that outcomes and data stuff as well, because our senior leaders, and I have nothing against head teachers and senior leaders, you know, I've been there and I've been a governor, I've been a chair of governors where I am concentrating on data, but it isn't the be all and the end all. And sometimes they, they, they're systems drive towards improving outcomes and data and results not necessarily outcomes, actually, results, measurable results, and not necessarily about providing what children need and the support that they need or the support the families need. You know, we are social care systems in our own sense, so we do provide a lot of support for families too. It'll be interesting with this fight, which big for everyone has to be an academy, which I'm for and against, but not always for logical reasons because I work a lot with the schools in Scotland, which are very, very different to the setup in England. It's scarily different, but I love what goes on in Scotland. They don't have governors in Scotland, but the local authorities are still huge. So what's what well, I went to one school and it was a special school. Where I was doing training. And they said, Oh, we can't fit nice. We'll go to the secondary school. And I thought that'd be a nightmare. And they walked in and they logged straight in because it was a local authority wide. And there's a thing called Glow, which is basically Yammer, which if you know what Yammer is, it's like a, your own private Facebook. So they have Glow, which is every single state school in Scotland has, every teacher has access to, and they can go, anyone got any good resources for this? And they can all work together. So there's a lot of collaborative stuff. 
And I think local authorities in most situations really have stood still and got all gone backwards over the last 20 years. And I think that is the reason I think academies overall can help because rather than we just keep doing the same thing, which we've done for 25 years, academies are coming in and going, right, how are we going to do this? And starting from a blank canvas. It's not always going well. There's lots of bad things about academies, which I'm hoping more financial stuff coming in will be better. But I've also seen lots of good things from academies. So I'm 50-50 on academies. Yeah, I'm probably 60 I've never been in the classroom. I've never worked in a school. So from the outside, I'm 50-50. Now, there's a load of things where you could, I think there's a whole teaching, pay, and things like that, and qualifications thing in academies, which is... I don't necessarily agree with it. Or is that more independent? I don't know. More independent, I think, because most academies follow the um, school teachers' pay and conditions document, the STPCD. So it, that's neither here nor there. It tends to be more around responsibility points. So whether the Senko gets their TLR or whether they get a, an SEN payment, it tends to be... You know, I know some academy chains where, and I am speaking from a Senko perspective, but where the they might have a Senko across several schools, and then it's a TA that's actually Senkoing in the school, which is not really what the code of practice says that we should be doing. I think that's that that to me is a negative. In said that said though. I, I worked, again, back to Nottingham City. It was a TA that took on the Senko role in another one of the very large secondary schools there. She had been doing the job for years and she was absolutely amazing. She just didn't have a degree and she couldn't qualify herself as a teacher. But she was probably one of the best Senkos in the city. So you can't always rule somebody out just because they don't have that qualification and you know she had a named person above her who just let her get on with it because she was she was good enough to get on with it um Ofsted didn't like it but that's another story altogether <laughs> so before we end is there anything you else you want to add anything i want to add no just stop making lists <laughs> you know make a to-do list stop making registers i should say y you've got it there already you've got your data you've got your information you you have it you have a legal obligation to have an MIS system, a management information system, so your SIMS or Arbor or Bromcom or whatever it is you're using. That's already in existence in school. Just update the status on there. It can be fluid. You can change it or get somebody to change it for you and then pull the report from that system. Stop generating something separate and stop having... 15 different lists because as a plain old classroom teacher, not that any classroom teacher is plain or old, you know, the general classroom teacher, they can't cope with it. They just can't cope with it. Are they SCN or they're not SCN? What are you trying to tell me? If you need to give them information about a child, give them information about a child, but it doesn't mean that they need to go on a register. There you go. So if you want to record it, stick it in the MIS. If you're going to do something about it, create a register. Absolutely. Thank you for coming to the show today, Abigail. We'll be putting some links to things like the Code of Practice and the Green Pay proposals and stuff in the show notes. And I'll also be sharing Abigail's contact details. And you'll find the show notes on our website or wherever you listen to the podcast. So thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, click on that subscribe button. You can follow us on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search for The Sendcast.
And if you are struggling to show progress, if your assessment process is overcomplicated, takes too long, or you just want to see what is available, have a look at the B Squared website or book a free online meeting with me so I can take you through our products. We have a range of assessment products to help all schools show small steps of progress for pupils with SEND. If you are a school in England and still confused by the engagement model, not sure about the pre-key stage standards or anything else around assessment, please get in contact. I can make it much clearer. You can also find out about our online training and conferences, read our blog or watch our webinar. This is all on the B Squared website. You'll find a link to the website and to book a meeting with me in the show notes. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Bye, everyone. Bye.